0: It's September 17, 2015. Nick Castellucci is a 24-year-old recent graduate. He's just chilling at home in New Jersey when he hears a knock at the front door. Nick's not expecting any company, but he gets up anyway to go answer it. He pushes down the handle and the door swings open. What he sees next will stay with him for the rest of his life. Dozens of FBI agents all over the front yard waiting to be let inside the house. Nick's stomach drops. The agents spread out over the house and they start going through all of his stuff. They take his computers, hard drives, and they even drive off with the man's car. And Nick, he's left standing there probably scared and wondering what the hell is going on. Little does Nick know FBI agents are simultaneously swooping down on three of his best friends' homes around the country.
1: They confiscated $1.9 million in cash from a house in North Texas. They seized a bunch of funds from these bank
0: accounts of these guys. $2.8 million from Anthony Clark. $2 million? Who in the hell keeps $2 million of cash in their house? $200,000
1: from Ricky Miller, $105,000 from Nicholas Castellucci. They were taking vehicles that these guys had purchased, froze assets and investment accounts.
0: You see, Nick and his 20 something year old accomplices had recently made almost $20 million. But these guys aren't drug dealers or bank robbers or even crooked inside traders, they're video gamers. You know, the guys who wear the headsets and sit in these command center-like chairs. These are the criminals? I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat, the show where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, we're looking at the illegal gaming industry and how four young men stole from one of the biggest video game developers in the world.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
0: I remember growing up playing video games back in the day, it's when they had Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, you played like Mario Kart or Zelda, or one of my favorite games was Super Tecmo Bowl. And this was back in the 90s, it's like nothing compared to what it is now. Back then, gaming was pretty much just a hobby. Every once in a while you have, I guess, the nerdy-like dudes that would sit up and play games all day surrounded by junk food. but Nowadays, it's in the mainstream, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a kid who doesn't stay up all night with their friends or a complete stranger in some virtual world. And now that there's a bigger consumer base of gamers, there are more games being made. Ipso facto, more money being pumped into the industry. Seems like everybody wants a piece of the pie, and the market is growing rapidly. According to PricewaterhouseCoopers, the global video games and esports industry is estimated to be worth over 150 billion dollars. Did you hear that? 150 billion with a B. And as you know, where there's money, cheats are soon to follow. This is the story of four gamers who met over the internet and realized that their combined experience could make them some serious cash. With the help of an international hacking group, they managed to take millions from right under the nose of one of the biggest video game developers in the world. It's 2016, and Jacob Wolf is working as a staff writer in ESPN's eSports department. We were a really small team at the time at ESPN. There were two of us writers. The video game industry is much smaller at this point, but it's about to blow up. In the coming years, games like Fortnite will be released and completely transform gaming as it was known.
1: 2014, 2015, and 2016 is really seminal years in the video game industry. According to Nuzu, a data firm specializing in esports, They're... Estimation of the video games industry, global market, revenue, and worth is around $91.8 billion in 2015, $99.6 billion in 2016, and $106 billion in 2017.
0: That's an increase of around $15 billion over three years. Advancements in technology, hardware, and software have been big driving forces behind that growth. Better consoles, more immersive graphics, Sophisticated storylines, greater access to the internet, and so on. I mean, have you seen the games these days? The graphics look real, and they have narrative plots that feel like movies woven into the games. No wonder people are getting hooked. It means the video game industry is becoming extremely lucrative. More people are playing. More games are being developed. More money being made. And more people are starting to cheat. I remember back in the day, cheating at a game was pretty basic. Remember that game I told you about, Super Tecmo Bowl? It was one of the first football video games. You only have four plays to choose from. And if you knew which play your opponent chose, you'd beat him every time. So, you know, if you just so happen to glance over and see which buttons they press to choose their play, well, let's just say you increase your chances of winning by about... But as technology advanced, it became much more difficult to cheat. So the gamers who wanted to cheat had to level up. There's one called a direct denial of service
1: cheat. This is basically against terms of service in every online game ever. And that means that you are taking someone's IP address that you're competing against and you are sending thousands of what are called packets to someone's home internet connection and flooding it so it makes their connection really terrible and they can't play the game.
0: So you send these packets of junk data to your opponent's computer. Their system is flooded with too much traffic and it has to buffer. The game slows down until it eventually stops and your opponent can't play. So guess what? You automatically win. Another one which
1: is a software cheat called an aimbot, very popular in shooting games. So a good example of this, say you're playing a shooting game and there's a wall between you and an opponent and you don't know they're on the other side of the wall. Well, someone with an aimbot would know they're on the other side of the wall because it would put their cursor commonly on the head, which is the place that sort of takes the most damage when you shoot it.
0: Games like Call of Duty, where you shoot people, have had a lot of problems with aimbots in the past. Prolific cheating in the game has even led prominent players to quit. In fact, in recent years, the developers of Call of Duty have had to ban hundreds of thousands of players for cheating. And then
1: there is the last server-side cheat, which is sort of the exploitation for some sort of reward.
0: Which means you can hack the backend of an online multiplayer game. You're not actually hacking the device that you're playing on, you're hacking the outside server where the data is stored to change things like your health, gold, or ammunition. It's a really difficult thing to do and you gotta be highly skilled at programming to pull it off. And check this out. In addition to software modifications, there are also ways to alter your hardware. There's a hardware
1: mod that allows for you to create something like a
0: rapid fire button on the back of your controller. You know how people buy a car and they can soup it up with all sorts of like nitro kits to make it go faster and whatnot? Well, when it comes to your gaming controller, you can do something like that as well. You can buy a computer mouse with rapid-fire buttons already installed, or you can DIY it and take apart your controller and add a chip to the circuit board yourself. And after you've got this super-speed turbo button of death attached to your controller, you're able to shoot faster than humanly possible and cause maximum damage to your opponent. But if you get caught, you're going to be punished. And there are varying levels to that punishment.
1: An IP ban means that anyone who tries to play the game using your home internet connection at the same location cannot do so. If you had a roommate, you lived with them and they played the same game, and you got an IP ban from a game, your roommate couldn't play in that scenario because they have the same local IP address.
0: Imagine being the roommate, you just want to relax and you turn on the game and you want to play and all of a sudden, eh, 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 no access. As game developers, they have in-game software that identifies cheaters. And when it detects someone, they can ban them pretty fast. There are some bans that go on your record, kind of like when your driver's license gets suspended, I guess. So if another player looks you up, then they can see that you were once caught cheating. It's like a public shaming mm mm Shame on you. You cheated. These bans, they stay on your record forever. And I think it's worth a pause here to declare that I think I'm officially old. I had no clue that there were bans in the world of gaming, let alone public shaming. Even though cheating is a pretty risky thing to do, a lot of gamers do it anyway. And according to Jacob... There are two main motivations. Personal satisfaction or financial gain.
1: Personal satisfaction being you want to feel like you're better than other people at the game. And if you mod something, maybe that makes you feel that way. It's kind of cool. It, like, makes you feel on edge. Gives
0: you that, like, adrenaline rush, whatever it may be. People make careers out of playing video games. And they get the big bucks, too. They have professional video game teams. People hire coaches. There are world championships, sponsors and prize pools worth tens of millions of dollars. These gaming events are a massive spectacle, with opening ceremonies sponsored by brands like MasterCard. They have strobe lights, a massive screen, smoke machines, and a screaming audience. Entire arenas get sold out for these competitions, and the pandemic, it didn't stunt the popularity of these events at all. According to Statista, in 2021, Over 73 million people tuned in to watch gamers battle it out in the League of Legends World Championship Final. One young kid hoping to make a splash on the world gaming stage was Nick Castellucci, an 8-year-old boy from New Jersey who immediately got hooked by the action, the guns, and the way the game unfolded seamlessly across his screen like magic. That led him to check out online forums filled with gamers like himself. He discovered that the limitations and rules set by developers could be overridden, and these forums gave him the tools to do just that. He found pre-written code online and started playing around with ways to cheat on Halo, a military science fiction game. Being able to, like, do that at 9 or 10 years old obviously requires someone quite intelligent. And with the growth of the internet in the early 2000s, Nick had access to plenty of information to get better at cheating. I remember
1: back then there's a lot of it's kind of like the the what I call like the dawn of online video and YouTube being a big thing and there were a lot of tutorials to learn how to do this kind of stuff. The most common way that people mod on a console is by putting a piece of software on a USB flash drive and then plugging the USB flash drive into the console. Modding on a computer is as simple as just moving some files around to your computer.
0: By the time Nick was 13, he was studying programming in his spare time and hacking Call of Duty to get special guns that would make him extra deadly. And then he started selling these guns online to people. I mean, this kid is like a virtual arms dealer. Until one day, shit got real, and he received a cease and desist letter from Activision, the developer of Call of Duty. That's pretty crazy. A huge company like Activision sending a cease-and-desist legal letter to a 13-year-old boy. Nick, however, carried on gaming, and it's not long before he's studying computer science at Rowan University in New Jersey. But he's still living his best online life and gaming as much as he can. And that's how he meets some new friends.
1: the guy named Anthony Clark, Ricky Miller, who also is from North Texas, in Etten Zavare of Lancaster, Virginia. I hope I didn't butcher his last name
0: too poorly. These dudes are gamers like Nick, who find a certain thrill in getting behind the curtain of whatever game they play. They start playing FIFA, a game created by EA or Electronic Arts. EA have made loads of games that you might have heard of, like The Sims and Madden, the NFL game. They've got that really famous opening title to all of their games. EA Sports. It's in the game.
1: FIFA is a soccer or a football simulator. It is
0: one of the most popular, probably the most popular sports game in the world. The concept of FIFA Ultimate Team is pretty simple. You play a soccer match against another team or against a computer, and the winner gets these virtual coins. And you can take these virtual coins and buy online card packs, kind of like the physical playing cards that you would trade in the playground as a kid. And essentially, you get these cards
1: from playing and doing challenges. Like scoring a certain number of goals or a certain number of saves by the goalie. Sometimes they'll give out cards as a part of like a reward system. And you comprise a team that could consist of players from all around professional soccer in the U.S. and Europe. These cards are based on real-life soccer players. Some of them are current players. Some of them are historic players with, you know, rankings from the past, from some of their best seasons, like the legends of professional football in this case. And the better the player is in real life, the better they are in the game. And so if you buy a ton of packs and you buy like sort of the higher end
0: packs, you are going to have better players, which you can then put on your team. The way that you buy these card packs is using the in-game virtual currency called FIFA coins. And you get those coins by playing matches and being rewarded with the coins at the end of each game. So the more matches you play, cha-ching, in the summer of 2013, Nick and his friends noticed that you don't have to play against an actual person to get coins. You can play against the computer. And they realized that they can probably modify the Xbox game to shortcut that process and get their hands on more coins. But it's not as easy as they thought it'd be. So they call in some backup. They reach out to another hacker named Austin Alcala from the infamous Xbox Underground. Xbox Underground at its
1: time was a group that had essentially infiltrated Microsoft's network. So, Sort of on what you would consider the quote unquote dark web of the internet. There are groups that like to modify and hack
0: and sort of talk on chat room forums. The Xbox Underground, they were hardcore. They'd stolen $100 million worth of intellectual property and they generally hung around the dark web. Their rap sheet was pretty impressive. They had previously broken into Microsoft's office in Washington where they stole development kits which are basically software kits that are only given to trusted developers to create games. And they also stole three non-public versions of the Xbox One. These four guys teamed up with someone from that who were essentially able to infiltrate Microsoft's servers. Austin is the younger member of the Xbox Underground, at only 18 years old. And he's been obsessed with computer games since the eighth grade. He's one of those kids that stayed up until the early hours of the morning gaming, then took a power nap and got up for school a couple of hours later. So Austin gets to work helping Nick and his friends to reverse engineer a pirated copy of FIFA 14. Reverse
1: engineering is basically like breaking down the system to parts. You take like the set of code, right, which is the game. You're essentially trying to figure out like how every little moving part works within a game
0: They comb through every line of code, trying to understand exactly how they can modify it to their advantage. It's very complex to do that.
1: It's not something an ordinary person could do. You have to be a very sophisticated programmer to do this.
0: It takes months to complete, but it allows them to create a tool to mine FIFA coins in the game. They created a piece
1: of software that allowed for them to trick the server that they had played
0: thousands of games. So the system would think that Nick and his friends were playing thousands of matches that started and ended within seconds. And therefore, they
1: were rewarded coins for free.
0: They had around 4,000 automated accounts working at the same time. I mean, they're raking in the dough, well, the virtual dough. But then the developer of the game realizes something is wrong within the game. They have pretty
1: sophisticated AI systems that monitor these games. And if it notices that you're doing something faster than any human being can possibly do, it usually flags you and
0: bans you automatically.
1: Pretty quickly, actually.
0: And it looks like Nick and his buddies might have to shut it all down. That's coming up after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that Trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets I'm Alice Levine and this is The Price of Paradise The island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption and murder Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts Welcome to True Spies So Nick and his friends have automated their accounts on FIFA to make it look like they've played thousands of matches that never actually happened. And so by sort of falsifying the matches,
1: it would more or less give him additional coins and give his friends additional
0: coins. According to reports, they're making tens of millions of FIFA coins in less than an hour. But Nick's plan isn't to just accumulate FIFA coins and spend them on more skilled players for his team. No, he spotted something else online, a much bigger fish. You go
1: into any of the like more densely populated places in the game where there are a lot of players and you'll see people start spamming in the chat like there are these bots that tell you to go to this website and you can
0: buy this currency. So these bots, they're spamming the chat with links to sites where you can buy FIFA coins. Nick and his co-hackers plan to distribute their coins on one of these third-party sites to make some money. There are unlimited coins in the ecosystem.
1: It doesn't matter how many coins they create, essentially, and sell. It is not a scarcity thing.
0: Nick and his friends can generate an unlimited number of coins, and theoretically, they can keep selling them forever. They're making a million FIFA coins a second. And you gotta understand, a million coins at the time cost $180 on other sites, but Nick was selling them for $8. So they're getting a lot of customers. They sold the coins for real money,
1: transfer and sell the coins to various unauthorized black market coin dealers in places such as the United Kingdom and
0: China. So these guys are treating this thing like a startup. They call themselves Rain Developments. Rain is the first letter of each of their names. They open an LLC, and they even start paying taxes. According to Nick, they pay around $650,000 in the first year. I don't know. It seems strangely honest, or stupid even, to be paying taxes and setting up an LLC when you're breaking the terms of service of a game. The operation grows, and Austin, from the Xbox Underground, he becomes their middleman and starts selling the FIFA coins to third parties on the dark web. Nick links his own bank account to Austin's PayPal account, and gets him to organize all the sales. It's a pretty efficient business. But then, their FIFA accounts start getting banned. The developer
1: started paying attention when they started noticing sort of
0: a bunch of currency that shouldn't exist. The AI that tracks unusual player activity in the game recognizes that these accounts can't be playing that many games in a day. So it starts shutting them down. EA, the game developer, started introducing CAPTCHAs. You know, those annoying tests on websites to make sure that you're not an alien or a robot or something. But Nick's team, they've been hacking games for years. So they just make more accounts. And then they automate those accounts to make more accounts until the AI software can't keep up. They also create a software that reads the CAPTCHAs and overrides them. Every time EA throws a curveball their way, the team finds a way around it. They have big goals for this startup and they want to expand. So they figure out how to run their code on the actual server, and then they start doing the exact same thing on PlayStation. But at the end of 2013, one of their PayPal accounts gets randomly frozen and their middleman Austin, he goes AWOL. This makes Nick a little worried. He knows they're breaking the terms of service of the game but he's pretty sure he won't get prosecuted for it. He thinks the developers of FIFA will just send him a cease and desist if they want him to stop, like Activision did when he was a teenager. But just to err on the side of caution, Nick hires a federal prosecutor to cover his back and his team retain a cybersecurity lawyer for the business who reaches out to the FBI multiple times to find out if they're breaking any laws. But according to Nick, the FBI is like, hey, We're not in the business of informing people if they're committing crimes. So the FIFA hackers, they just keep going. These four guys created a $16
1: million enterprise. They bought various different vehicles, they bought homes. They were living pretty luxurious lives. They were spending pretty aggressively.
0: Their company's making a lot of money in a very short span of time. But even if they are trying to stay on the right side of the law, they're still attracting attention. The fact that there was $2.8
1: million in a checking account from someone who's 26 years old at the time, if that doesn't ring a red flag to the bank and
0: the IRS, then I don't know what does. Then, after just over a year on the team, Nick's lawyer advises him to leave. But it's too late. They're already on the FBI's radar. That's coming up after the break. In the fall of 2014, Nick quit the team having made $1.4 million himself, but his friends continue to hack Xbox and PlayStation in order to get FIFA coins and sell them on third-party sites for real money. Little do they know, their activities have attracted some unwanted attention. The game developer Electronic Arts and
1: the FBI and the IRS got involved and were sort of looking at it collectively as a group.
0: And while they mine away, the FBI and IRS just sit back and watch the money flooding into the hackers' accounts at an astounding speed. I don't think that the FIFA hackers were very discreet. They've made no attempt
1: to hide their profits. I've seen fraudsters that, you know, put their money through, like, some sort of business or something, and they try to make it look clean. But that was not the case here.
0: I mean, these are 420 20 something 20-something-year-olds, and they've made millions in months they're probably buzzing that they've managed to get away with hacking one of the most well-known game developers in the world. There's, like, millions of dollars
1: in accounts that were, like, under their name, right? Like, there's a $2.8 million Bank of America checking account under the name Anthony Clark.
0: Anthony Clark, one of the four hackers. And then it all comes crashing down, and that's when the FBI comes knocking. But how? And... Why? You all remember Austin? He was part of that badass group of hackers called the Xbox Underground. He sold coins for Nick, and then he went AWOL. Well, another project of Austin's had gone belly up, and he was in trouble with the feds. In an attempt to get off with a lighter punishment, he started working with the FBI and giving up information on other hackers, including Nick and his friends. Austin gave the FBI full access to his online accounts and communications, evidence that was used in the case against the FIFA hackers. It was a huge deal that this much money
1: had been made in sort of this criminal enterprise centered around video game currency.
0: These guys had taken virtual currency and turned it into more real money than most people will see in their life. And they did it using video games. The government started speaking about it. I remember it was a huge deal. The four hackers are taken to court, and one of the hackers, Anthony Clark, refuses to plead guilty. Anthony
1: Clark was sentenced to uh, maximum sentence of 20 years in prison and then had to pay $250,000 in fines in addition to the, all the assets that were seized. He
0: reportedly planned to fight the charge, but he never made it back to court. And he actually died in between sentencing and the conviction. The cause of death wasn't reported. Those close to him have said that it was not suicide. But what's interesting is, right now, if you search for FIFA coins online, there's still so many websites and sellers distributing them. There's always another hack. It's like
1: whack-a-mole, right? Like, you fix one and another one pops up. There will always be some nimble programmer who's young and hungry and wants to cheat the system who will figure out how to work around them. And they will get caught and they will get banned but there will always be someone else and i believe that's going to
0: continue basically forever nick says that the fifa coins hack has cost them job opportunities you think these companies would want to hire him to help prevent hackers like him and his buddies from gaming the system
1: there's a league of legends player that i've covered over the course of basically his entire career and he was banned indefinitely for a very long time and eventually he was unbanned and recruited by a pro team and he's had a very fruitful career for himself after
0: there are countless stories where hackers or fraudsters are given second chances by the people they tricked i mean frank Abingdale from the movie catch me if you can is a prime example i
1: think that people are capable of changing but it's part of their risk associated they're like yeah nobody's going to pick you up because you can't be trusted i mean as sophisticated as Nick Castellucci is in this case, like I, I totally could see him being a very successful software engineer or something similar,
0: but who's going to trust him with playing with their code? Since this story broke, Nick has co-founded his own company, one that specializes in streaming events and performances in 3D across the internet. We're not sure where Ricky is now, but Eaton, he's the director of technology for a wine company. As you guys know, we start off every episode of this series by asking the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? And sometimes it gets a little murky. I mean, what does it mean to cross the line in the virtual world? Video games are designed to be addictive. They want us to play as much as possible. So much so that players are encouraged to spend real money in the games for a better virtual experience. Sometimes you can't even go further in the game unless you pay. And when it comes to the guys in this episode, you know, I don't think they're heroes by any means, but are they criminals? They might have hurt the developer's bottom line because I'm sure they had to spend time fixing this hack. But breaking the terms of service in a video game is a lot different than breaking bones or breaking hearts. Most of us don't have the skill set to hack in the way that these guys did. But let's do a what if. What if you had that ability and you knew that exercising that skill would bring no harm to any individual person? And what if you felt pretty confident that you were barely a blip on the corporation's bottom line? And what if it actually would benefit people by providing them with what they want for $1.4 million? Would you do it? Next week on cheat. He put adverts in newspapers, notes online, basically saying, you know, if you're characterful, resourceful, energetic,
1: apply for this show, you'll be working on it for a year
0: and you can win a hundred thousand pounds. He cheated these people of an opportunity and he cheated them of hope and he lied to them. And also, fundamentally, he was trying to cheat the system. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Mira Kumar. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Kaling. The series editor is Tom Fuller. Engineering and sound design by Sam Baer. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Ekbatola.